at the very talented and always busy theatre director Ola Ince. Theatre. Uh, I'm going to start that again because I always called you theatre instead of Ola. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from the Young Book, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. My name is Dan Delamotte, and I am looking directly at the very talented and always busy theatre director Ola Ince. Ola, welcome to Off Book. Thank you, Daniel. Not welcome. Welcome back to Off Book. You are the very first theatre director or um, theatre maker or creative that's had a return visit yes. to Off Book. Yes! So how about <laughs> that? The sequel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ola Ince 2.0. Here we go. Um, now, I hope it would be like Toy Story. It would be a better sequel. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, we exactly. hope so. Um, now... About approximately a million billion years ago, you were on <laughs> Off Book uh, and you were talking about uh, the Dutchman and you were talking about um, your uh, life and career thus far and being at Brit School and Rose Bruford and all of those things. And so, Ola, my first question to you is, what has happened since? What has happened since 2016, which is the last time you were in this tiny booth? So that was two years ago. So... Since then, I have, it might be a bit out of order, it might be a jumbled what do you mean recollection. Out of order? Oh, out of order happened. is in, uh, yeah, not no, in no, chronological no, order. No, yeah, <laughs> not like bang out of order. order. <laughs> I'm not going to be rude. Um, so I have been, so I'm currently working on The Convert here. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, or alongside that, I am the international associate on Tina Turner the Musical, and that started this year. Um, uh, a few months before this show, I directed, I think it was the summertime. Yeah, my brain's a bit, like everything's <laughs> a bit weird. Uh, a show at the Royal Court called Poet in the Corner, uh, which was on at the Royal Court in the main space, on the main stage, which was pretty epic. It was a grime musical. And then before that, I, at the very start of the year, directed a show called Twilight Los Angeles 1992 by Anna DeVere Smith at the gate. Have I missed anything out? I think that's this year. And then in 2017, (laughs) I worked at Royal Welsh um, and directed Intimate Apparel by Lynn Nottage, which is an awesome, awesome play. I directed I th- I think it was at Royal Welsh as well the same year I think so I directed a play called um, White Sky by Simon Longman who's a really great playwright and Daniel it's really bad I can't remember anything anymore <laughs> well shall I give you a prompt yes please you've also directed Start Swimming which was yes a thank you <laughs> that was really that that was epic actually mm. and I'm still um, madly in love with the cast and James Fritz, who I saw yesterday, actually came to watch The Convert. So that was epic because we made that. Was that all last year? That was 2017. That was last year. That was last year. Yeah. So we made that um, and it opened in April, did it? In the Clare. Correct. Then we took it to Edinburgh in the summer. And it was with the cast of 11 super duper young performers um, on boxes. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack, a lot to unpack yeah. in those two years. So let's start with that Start Swimming then, which was a, a taking part production in response to Paul Mason's Why It's All Kicking Off. Um, and uh, how did that sort of come about? What was the what was the, the story behind that show then? So we 
I suppose the show was commissioned by the Taking Part Department, which is led by um, Imogen Brody. Your former teacher. My former teacher <laughs> at the Brit School. And so they said, Ola, this is the show that David Lann is directing. Was it his last show of the season in terms of the last show he directed? Uh, it was the last show he directed. It wasn't... Yes, the yeah, last show sorry, that he directed at the Young Vic. At yes. the Young Vic, yeah. not the last show of the season. Everyone ignore that. Um, and so I read a lot of Paul Mason's work and I was thinking about what it meant to be young, what it meant to think about the what it meant to be considering the future when the future feels so unstable and so scary and um, so unfair what it's like to inherit this world that has is basically means that you're being set up to fail straight away and trying to figure out what those rules are as a young person and so um, Imogen said we're also going to commission James Fritz who's a really great experimental writer um, and together we dreamed really big and we thought about creating a space and a language which could really explore um, what that would feel like um, and it was kind of I suppose this horrific game show in which the room spoke to these young people and um, set up all these structures and boundaries which because the first yeah. time you think of a horrific game show with boxes you think of deal or no deal don't you so. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it was worse than that worse than deal or no deal sorry interruption to make the worst joke ever sorry sorry Ola, continue continue <laughs> it was great and it was designed by um jake hughes or jacob hughes um, and we had a brilliant casting process and we had a really intensive and thorough rehearsal process where the performers helped us devise the show. Um, and they, we were really responding to the injustice that they felt they faced. Um, and it was really physically challenging and really rewarding, actually, because each um, performer really contributed. It was a really collaborative process in which I think we were all able to make our best work and I think the audiences were all really impacted by what it meant and what we were trying to say. Um, and, and you took that show to Edinburgh. Yeah, to uh, Summer Hall. Have you, before, have you directed shows for Edinburgh before? No. And uh, how do you survive Edinburgh? Because how do you not get totally fatigued, totally poor? You go with the Young Vic. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not a possibility? I mean, I went with the Young Vic, so I was, it was luxurious. <laughs> I stayed in an Airbnb and the cast flyered. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I watched nice shows at Summer Hall. But um, I think I'm probably the wrong person to ask, in all honesty, uh, because it was my first time and it was a really slick first time because the show did really well and sold really well. Um, but I think other people that I know, artists that I know that have gone to Edinburgh, they just try and soak up the spirit and the culture and take each day as it comes. Um, Were you aware of Edinburgh's um, potential to sort of sap energy, sap finances, sap even love for the art? I wasn't. I wasn't with our experience. Mm -hmm. um, it was great to go with such a great team as well, a strong team. I mean, that is some people's experiences, but it wasn't ours at all. Like we believed so passionately about what we were doing and we were so well received um, that that wasn't our situation. Great. So, I'm glad to yeah. hear it. And but just my disclaimer, that's not everybody's experience either. I don't want it to sound like Edinburgh is some sort of awful experience. <laughs> it's, de <laughs> it's definitely, definitely not. But I know that some people can, can get be quite taxing. tired. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I think maybe for the performance it was quite taxing. Mm. Um, but 
for me, it was great to really get to... It was great because I think it was possibly the first time that the Young Vic taking department, taking part department, got to take their work to a festival. Um, and therefore, it really gave us a sense of great value that we were equal to other shows, that it wasn't just a thing that we make in a really small space and hide and only invite our friends to. It was like, we are considered equal and we are considered artists too it doesn't matter if we had training or not or what our backgrounds are this is art and we want to share our story with you um and that felt really special because a lot of theatres have outreach programs where it's like a nice thing to do and the young vic um made us feel empowered and vital Fantastic. David Land, the former artistic director here, he used to say that uh, the taking part department was the second half of the same circle. So the first half of the circle is is the work that goes on most of the time in in the large space here, and the and the second half of the circle is the work of of the neighbourhood theatre or, or um, participation or, or learning. So it's glad great to yeah. hear that uh, you you felt I that agree. in, it's in, uh, in Edinburgh part of the circle. I think it's so important. Mm. I encourage other theatres to do the same. I know we did have some competition out there, <laughs> but we definitely won. <laughs> of course, no question. And I bet you kept those young people in shape as well. I bet you kept them in line. You are flying. You are doing I it. I didn't. Oh, no. That was all Rob. I was like, guys, you're beautiful artists. I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> now get out there and start flying. <laughs> I made them honey, lemon and ginger. Oh, it's my the, specialty. You are the director to have honour, that's for sure. Um... So that was the incredible Start Stimming, which was on at the Young Vic in April 2017 and then in Edinburgh uh, in August 2017. Let's talk about your time at the gate then um, and, and uh, Anna Devere Smith. Tell me about that. So unfortunately or fortunately, depends how you look at it, I didn't know very much about Anna Devere Smith until Ellen gave me... Ellen McDougall. Yeah, her text. So it's Ellen's um, first season and she said, oh, I'd really love you to be involved. Here are some play texts to look at. And she was so patient with me. She gave me about 50 scripts. And I went, mm, no, thank you. Maybe. Uh, no, thank you. Until eventually she gave me Twilight and I was like, yes, please. Now, now, now. I have to do it. Um, and what I loved about it was that it was unlike any piece of work I'd ever read before or seen before the multitude of voices that exist in that piece um, uh, um, it's mind blowing how um, honest people are about their belief systems and they say things that are so offensive and so shocking and so um, sometimes backwards that I had to share those thoughts because I think that um, it's really um, what am I looking for unrealistic to think those people don't actually exist now in the here and now and even though they were talking about the 90s a lot of those beliefs and ideas are prevalent still today we just got better at hiding them and then every now and again it comes to the forefront and we're like oh my god I can't believe Trump's been elected or, oh my god I can't believe this is happening and you really should if you have your ear to the ground you know what everyone's saying it's been kind of obvious and out there and in the atmosphere for a long time. We're just trying so hard to please each other superficially that we're not having the right conversations. So that's why I really wanted to do this show. Um, and initially I was like to Ellen, OK, so I'm going to need about 16 actors. She was like, mm, you could or you could just have one. 
And I was like, okay, all right then. And then it was about trying to find the actress, because I wanted it to be an actress, um, who could successfully carry all of those voices and ideas. And that actress was Nina Bowers, who I call Nina Powers, <laughs> um, who was straight out of Central. Um, she did a devising course, and she is just phenomenal. She's so intelligent. She's so open and skillful in every way. Um, and she was able to, as her first job ever, um, carry about 21 different voices. And so the process became about um, giving her the tools she needed to do that successfully so that those voices were all very different and therefore they could clash. And about me as a director um, practicing what I love, which is dramaturgy too, so those voices would sit right with a contemporary British audience. And then it became like, okay, but how do we make sure this isn't just an academic experience and people feel it too? And so then uh, Jake and I spoke a lot about what it meant to um, speak to a community and what community sp spaces feel like and played around with community halls and the idea of what circles do and equality and um, everyone kind of being in the play with her. And so that's how it all came about, really. And is it difficult being both dramaturg and director because perhaps you don't have the outside eye that another creative can, can give to a piece? For me, no, because I think all of my direction is dramaturgy and all of my dramaturgy is direction. So to me, it's like one in the same because that's just how my mind works. Um, but I suppose, yeah, I don't know. I don't know any different. So it feels really natural. And with a piece like that at the gate, how do you practice self-care? Because it's such a heavy piece. Unfortunately, I didn't see that, but I did see Anna Devere Smith in, at the Royal Court earlier this year in notes on a uh, uh, notes on in from the field. Sorry, and uh, it's it was such. I think it's the best piece of theatre I saw yeah, this year amazing. until I saw the convert. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's just a, a piece which you just wonder how she's able to keep herself going while all that is going on in her in her creative life. How did you manage with, with such heavy content? I met her and she's great at looking after herself. Um, and actually, for me, I was absolutely fine. But for Nina, we had to really look after her because people had such uh, visceral reactions to the play. And because of the way that I framed it, people really felt she was the medium. And so within our interval, which was an onstage interval, it was a tea break on stage people would come and talk to her about their dad that was involved in the riots or their best friend that was a racist. And she'd be like, oh, I'm 21 and I don't know what to know. So that's mm. really patronising. It doesn't matter how old she is. She's not a therapist. Mm. Um, and so it became a, about myself and Fumi Gomez, who is our assistant director, making sure that Nina had time to cool down from the experience um, and to separate herself from those ideas. Um, because she, she is so awesome that she really took on those people's spirits. And a lot of the people that were um, communicating to Anna, because it's verbatim and they're all interviews, um, were really damaged. And so she had to carry those wounds for such a long time that it was about vocal massages for her, about um, a lot of like physical activity and yoga, um, but also about me taking her out for dinner hmm. like once a week to try and make sure that she was shaking it off because it's a lot of responsibility and it's even more so when you're in a, such an intimate space and there's no definition between audience and performer 
that it's super intense and a one woman show and it's the first show she's ever done out of school in such a small space as well that it's probably super adds the intensity intense. yeah so um it was about looking after her rather than myself yeah you're all about other people, aren't you, Ola? There you are making tea for the young people in Edinburgh. There I'm not you sure are they'd taking... agree, but <laughs> that's what I think I'm doing. <laughs> and so now we're going to fast forward to um, Poet in the Corner at the Royal Court, uh, which is a, <clears throat> a, a grime musical. Uh, are you a fan of grime? I am. But, n- but actually, I became a bigger fan of grime yeah. the more research I did. Because yeah. um, I was just like, yeah, I know grime. Yeah, I know the artist. <laughs> yeah, I'll listen to the odd yeah. tune. Um, How but, fantastic that the Royal Court puts on a musical about grime. Exactly. You know I mean, the juxtaposition between the, the grandeur of that building and the kind of, I, I'm, I'm not being rude to grime when I say this, but the kind of the, the grittiness exactly. or the, 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 the immediacy of grime music. That's what was, was so that exciting, yeah. actually, um, because that space is so politically charged um, and in the middle of Sloan Square, um, and so it was it was really saying to everyone in London, we value grime. It is a real art form. It's high art, actually. Um, we can see you. And it was awesome because actually, when the play was first given to me, it wasn't necessarily a musical. That we didn't know it was gonna be that. It could have been like a spoken word thing, or it could have been it could have been anything. Because Deborah Stevenson, sorry, Debris Stevenson, um, who wrote it, was quite open about it. She was working with um, Mikey J, who was our um, MD composer, music extraordinaire, and they were figuring out what some of the poems could be. And so, again, I came along as a dramaturg and a director and helped them find that path and helped everyone focus on what it was we were trying to say and then I kind of went hmm that could be upbeat and it could be a musical number we'll make that a dance and we'll make that dialogue and we'll make so it was awesome in terms of um the like artistic freedom that I had and the trust that I gained um so that we could do what we wanted and then we realised, like, in the second week out of three weeks, by the way, that it was a musical. And I was <laughs> like, guys, it's a grand musical. We've got it, like, wow. And actually, we realised it so late that we had to start getting, like, um, mics and stuff, radio mics, really late into the process. We didn't know what it was until we made it, um, which is a little bit scary, but we did it just in time. We got the right mics for press night. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Teeny bit stressful? Yeah, but, like, so much fun. And also what was really great about it, which I suppose ties into some of the work I make, is that I was working with people that weren't traditional theatre makers. So Debris Stevenson is a bashment dancer and a poet. Um, Jams is a grime artist. And um, Kira Bell is a dancer and stylist. And Cassie Clare was the only actress or musical theatre actress she's the only person from a traditional pathway to be in the show so I was teaching people what it was to be in theatre and what theatre was and what it, how you make it um, and three weeks was pretty tight to do that <laughs> in but they all really rose to the challenge and had so much to offer and it meant that um, yeah I worked with um, Aaron Sinis 
who is an amazing choreographer. He works with Twigs, FKA Twigs. Um, and so it was great to go like, can we make that like a dance like this? Or let that be a music video or let that be a political speech and let that bit be like just a, a grime battle. Um, so yeah, it was really nuts to be honest. Whose idea was it to make that show? It was Deborah's. Um, oh, Debris. Debris. Sorry, Debris. <laughs> it was Debris' idea. Um, she'd made, she has like a degree in literature and poetry and considers Dizzy Rascal to be um, a literary icon, a poetic genius. And so she has spent a couple of years of her life dissecting all of his work. <laughs> and it was seen by Ros Terry, actually, who used to work here. Um, and Vicky Featherstone, and they were like, "She, this is really cool. Let's give her some money and tell her to write some more." Um, and then I joined, eventually. So, yeah, it was great to take over the space, and we had a little grime exhibition in oh, the great. bar, and we had a yellow corner for a while. <laughs> it, like it was, it's amazing. It's actually amazing what storytelling can do. And what's so fascinating about talking to you, Ola, is that all of these uh, pieces of art that you've been working on uh, since we last spoke in 2016, well, it wasn't me that spoke to you then, but anyway. Um, we did speak in 2016 <laughs> anyway, so yeah. <laughs> is, um, is that they're all kind of quite different in terms of their style and in terms of their form. If we look at Start Swimming, if we look at, uh, if we look at um, Twilight, if we look at um, uh, po- uh, Poet in the Corner. And now if we talk about the Tina Turner musical, oh, yeah. I mean, that's surely simply the best. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is. It's better than all the rest. <laughs> um, well, they, they are and they're not. I mean, they are, in a sense, some of them are musicals, some of them are uh, verbatim, um, but they all centre around power, the lack of or the um, overwhelming amount of the people abuse. Um, Tina Turner is a survivor story. It's, like, so inspiring. Actually, while I was photocopying in the office, I was... Um, listening to her podcast with Oprah and she said on press night um, that this musical is about how you can turn poison into medicine and that's what her story does I think for a lot of people is showing that there is light and there is hope and you can do anything you put your mind to Um, and I think that has a very similar message to Poet in the Corner Mm. Um, that's a story about someone with a lot of, um, what, what's what I'm looking for, um, factors, uh, not factors, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of what? <laughs> Adversity that she overcomes because she decides that she can and she's inspired and empowered. And so I suppose everything that I'm working on is always about power and how to um, address it, how to correct it, how to... Um, handle it successfully so that you are empowering rather than stripping power away from people that was the most convoluted way of answering that question <laughs> not at all it was actually really eloquent Ola, and apart from the massive gap where I'm like oh <laughs> well we can deal with that in post-production I'm sure um, is uh, it's interesting then because in in terms of the link between all of those pieces of art that you've been working on it seems to me that you are very political 
And there was a quote that you gave an online interview recently where you said that theatre is your only activism. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's a very good platform to be an activist, but what, what did you mean by that? I think sometimes I am saddened by the fact that I spend all of my time inside theatres um, and I don't get to go to rallies or march or start, I don't know, petitions or whatever. But... Um, I do try, I am driven by injustice. And so everything that I do on stage is about trying to correct that um, or address it or question it. And so I suppose even though I'm not out with a placard like I want to be sometimes, I am protesting on stage all the time. I think even my very presence is a form of protest. Um, it's not, I don't always want to think of myself like that as a statement but I think other people do sometimes see that within me. It's really interesting. I think a lot of people think they're really liberal until they meet me, and I'm like everything in one that they, <laughs> they don't know they hate. <laughs> um, and then that becomes an interesting thing about how I try and not always actively, like I'm not always aware of it, maybe sometimes it's subconscious, but um, change their minds or educate them or, um, yeah, correct them. You mentioned the T word a little earlier, Trump. And uh, <laughs> since last time that you were in this booth, um, obviously Brexit has happened as well. Yeah. Is it too soon to make work in response to such hideous things? No. Um, can we see the full picture yet? Is it are we being too uh, res uh, responsive to those to those topics? Or you say you say no? You think we can make work about those things now? I think we can now, and we can just continue to later. And I think though. This is a very particular moment, but it's a moment that's happened before and we can see it within our history. And so those are the plays that we're working on or that we think about, like Julius Caesar, for example, or like um, even The Convert in, in terms of that's a, a play about what it means to... Um, what it means to condition people, what it means to indoctrinate people, what it means to colonise people that exists within our environment right now. And maybe we're not doing good enough productions because people don't really seem to get what we're saying because <laughs> they're doing it over and over again. But it's the same themes. Um, so I think we, we should talk about it now and make work about it now. And we should continue to, but we should also think about the actually... Why do we put on plays and what are those plays' messages? Is it just to entertain and say that we've gone for a nice evening out? Or are we actually trying to talk to each other? And how do we make sure that we're not shouting into a vacuum? I think it's, again, about... Today someone spoke to me about um, some of the work that I do and who gets to see it. And I think the great thing about Twilight is it had, it had some really ugly voices within it that I think really... Um, appealed to the masses and not just the left and I think we if we're only making work for ourselves which I think a lot of people do then it's kind of pointless hey it's like on Twitter if you only follow certain people or so, so certain social media platforms you're just gonna hear what you want to hear and so I think it is about making work accessible and taking it to places that you might not feel comfortable taking it to, but means that everyone gets to have a conversation. And I'd rather be offended than ignorant to what's going on. I really would. I really, really would. 
Ola, it sounds like you're so, so busy. And, you know, you're, you are a political activist, but that happens to be in the theatre. <laughs> and you're always working on, on shows, which on, on pieces of art, which have power as one of the themes. It sounds to me like you're a workaholic. Are you a workaholic? I am, she uh, says, holding her honey, <laughs> lemon and ginger. <laughs> and is that... Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is there any benefits in that or, or negatives? What, what's the situation with being a workaholic in this industry? I've been thinking about that today. and I've been wondering whether I hate myself or I love myself. Because it's now um, like a habit. It, it has its benefits because since I've last saw you, I had a, like a podcast um, moment with you guys. I've been able to make lots of really cool work. So it means that um, I'm growing a hell of a lot. But it does mean that I don't get to have as much sleep as I think is probably healthy. Um, And actually, art requires inspiration. And to be inspired, you've got to really breathe. So there's, you know, it's not, I'm not a machine. And so I also need to learn how to factor in moments to go, actually, what is life? Mm. Like, let me touch base with real people um, and the real world and absorb it so I can respond to it and that can be dangerous if you're working all the time because you don't have a chance to check in with the real world um, and but it does have its benefits because it means that your your um, artistic muscles like technically are getting stronger because you're always using them so I think I need to learn about the balance very easy and do we have perhaps a problem in this industry that people are hesitant to say no you, of to- course Definitely. Also within our industry, people don't care if you're sick. It's like the, sh- the phrase is, the show must go on. So that is a problem. And burnout amongst creatives and artists. Yeah, that's a real problem, that the show must go on. It is. But it's something that we're really proud of saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about why you're here right now. And I f- want to congratulate you, Anna. I saw the convert um, on Friday and it's a really powerful fantastic uh, piece of art and piece of theatre so congratulations first thank of all. you Daniel um, talk to me about uh, the convert how did that come about the convert came about via Kwame um, who's he our, our new artistic joking. director <laughs> um, and I'd heard about it because it got such a great response when it was at the gate I think it's at the gate 2017 something like that yeah um, maybe it was 16 I'm not sure but it was at the gate and um, I read it and, and I was like, wow, what is this? This feels really, it feels like it was written years ago because it's so kind of classic in its form. It's a play in three acts. But it's really interesting because all of the characters are black and they're from Zimbabwe and we're in 1895. Um, naturally, it's Zimbabwe before it was Zimbabwe, before it was Rhodesia, when it was uh, Matabeli land and Mashona land. And we're talking about um, colonialism and we're talking about it really unapologetically. Um, what is this? What is this? Um, and so I was really intrigued um, and then really hungry to learn more and really thought about whether I could do anything with it. Like, was I the right person? And I decided that I th- thought I was and that I really wanted to do it. And Kwame said, okay um yeah I want you to do it and then it was about dreaming up this world and really doing a lot a hell of a lot of research and figuring out who could carry these characters who could 
absorb these characters who are very complex. Um, and that's when the big journey began. Um, and so I felt a real responsibility, though, to to Danai and to Zimbabwe, because I'm not from Zimbabwe myself, um, to get the story right and to get the temperature right and to make sure that these people were as complex as they are on the piece of paper. Um, and so it's been a long journey up until now, but I'm really happy that people are so well received and people are laughing and crying and they actually gasp sometimes. I'm like, really guys? But they're really moved by it. Um, it's a really dense, epic play. It really is. There was a fantastic moment when I saw it on Friday where, um, forgive me for not remembering the name of the character, but they talk about their, their birth name and that is their name. Yeah. And the audience clapped Tamba. and cheered and whooped at that moment. Yeah. And it was one of the most incredible moments I've experienced in being in that auditorium at, in this theatre of all of the audience being in the, on the same voice at that moment yeah, and really rooting so for a character. That's a really brilliant way to describe it. That's happened quite a lot. It's like people really seem to absorb the ideas and politics and beliefs and we've I've, I've had to we have had to as a group work really hard to detach ourselves and our um, contemporary ideas about religion from the piece to really allow it to sing because I didn't want anyone to watch it and be very to be really certain of what's right and what's wrong I think that a lot of it is is grey and I want people to really have to grapple with the ideas of like you know, was it good that Christianity came to Africa? Or was it a bad thing? Or what existed before? And who's been conditioned? And who is the convert? Because a lot of people assume that Jekasai or Esther is the convert, but maybe she's not. I think actually Chilford is. Um, and so it's a, yeah, it's been a really awesome challenge, really has. I think I probably like aged by about 20 years. <laughs> you don't look it, I promise you that. You don't look it. Um, Ola, as somebody who is so, so busy all of the time, are you allowed to uh, divulge your um, next steps and what's happening next for you? Well, in about two weeks, I'm going to Hamburg to direct Team Eternal the Musical in German. Oh, wow. Exactly. I wish I knew how to say simply the best in German. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. So I'm going to have about a week to uh, learn German. And, um, and then I'll come back and do some more Tina stuff in London. And then I'm going to do some bits and bobs at the Royal Court. Um, and hopefully some other cool projects if people want me. So that would be nice. Well, I wish you love and joy and happiness and the success in everything that the future holds. You too. Thank you. Ola Ince, thank you for chatting to us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes.